0: Hello again, my friends, and welcome back. So here we are. It's another week of the Royal Ramble podcast, and it's coming at you this week a day early. Consider it an early Christmas present, or perhaps Easter present, though I don't know how many of you would have gotten Easter presents growing up. Well, well, I guess there are Easter eggs and chocolate and whatnot, so it, kind of, it does kind of work. We are now a second week removed from the WrestleMania 38 extravaganza. Has it kicked in yet? Believe it or not, we are only about 50 weeks away from WrestleMania 39 next year in Los Angeles. Roman versus The Rock, let's do it! You know, while that is the latest rumor, it was kind of teased in this past week's episode of Young Rock, featuring a scene with what was supposed to be a young Roman Reigns from the mid-90s. Just watching that scene made me realize the age gap that exists between them. And you know, looking at The Rock, you wouldn't even know he was a few weeks shy of his 50th birthday. That is the golden birthday year, and he was in fact the golden boy of the WWE for many, many years. Just something to think about. But while you're thinking about that, you can also think about this. One of the themes of this week's episode is Young Rock, and I had a chance earlier this week to chat with Downtown Bruno himself. Not the actor that plays him, but the very man that the character was based on. WWE fans may know him better as Dr. Harvey Whippleman. And yes, please don't forget that doctor title but that interview is coming a little later on. For now, I want to focus on a product that is not usually talked about on this and several other wrestling podcasts, and that's Impact Wrestling. They, of course, have their big pay-per-view coming up in a week's time called Rebellion, and I cannot emphasize enough what a great job I think they've done in not only putting this one together, but also in the build-up, especially the tremendous video packs this week for both Moose and Josh Alexander. I used to watch Impact quite frequently back when it was still TNA. I had to suffer through all the booking catastrophes created by one Vince Russo at the time as I was writing TV reports for both Slam and Fight Network, and it was a product that was endlessly chipping away at my sanity. Once they were dropped from Spike TV in 2014, I really didn't care enough about the product to seek it out on another network, and thus I'd stopped watching altogether for several years. In about 2016 or 2017, I decided to give it another chance, but was exclusively watching their pay per views while still avoiding the TV at all costs. The pay per views were actually pretty good at the time, but then the in ring has never been an issue with this company, or really any company. That's what keeps me watching as a fan. It's the booking that is the big turnoff most of the time. Once COVID hit, I started working from home, which freed up a lot more of my time. Especially since my wife was still commuting to work, so I was alone most of the day, and so I decided to give their program another shot. I liked the first week, but after a few it became almost painful to watch again. Not just because of the booking, but the production value at the time was so awful. And then having empty arenas didn't help much either. I almost swore off the product completely after their terrible Bound for Glory pay-per-view last year. Well, I I should clarify, the pay-per-view itself wasn't terrible, but there were a lot of booking decisions that I called into question, specifically in the end, which saw Moose cash in his Call Your Shot title opportunity after Josh Alexander had just defeated Christian Cage for the world title. I feel like any other night I wouldn't have minded, but this is their biggest show of the year, and they chose to end it on a very sour note which didn't sit too well with me. I gave up for a few weeks after that, but started watching again during the holidays, and I must say that they have been absolutely killing it this year. I don't know if it's because of a change in management or booking or, you know, whatever they've been doing has been working well, so I hope they continue doing it. With that, I want to take a look at next Saturday's lineup and give you a little preview, or as my boys in 2.0 would say, a taste of what's to come, match by match. To start, we've got a three-way match that was recently announced between Chris Sabin, Jay White, and Steve Macklin. Now, anybody who's been following my posts on social media should already know that I'm not a huge fan of Macklin, and I think this would have been better as a one-on-one match between Sabin and White, even though we had already seen it at the Multiverse show. Macklin I just find to be very bland and boring. There's not a whole lot about him that stands out to me. I think this one will probably end with the babyface winning it. I can see a scenario where White and Macklin will try to work together against Saban, but it'll end up costing them in the end, where they each try to screw each other over, which opens the door for Saban to take advantage and pin Macklin. This will eventually lead to several weeks of Macklin trying to pledge his allegiance to Bullet Club, and they kind of use him as their lackey, similar to how Disco Inferno was positioned in the Wolfpack. Unfortunately, this is really the only use I see for Macklin. Tomohiro Ishii is on the card, ladies and gentlemen. Might I say I love how all these companies are working together. He's facing Jonah on the card, and Jonah has had a pretty good string of matches lately against PCO. In fact, he won all of those matches, if I'm not mistaken. I'm expecting this to be a very hard-hitting contest, and I think Jonah's string of victories will continue with a big win here. But then I was very surprised that they put Ishii over Eddie Edwards at the last show, so who even knows. I don't think they would have given Jonah all those wins over PCO if he wasn't in line for a push. And the goal here should be to position some potential challengers for Josh Alexander, assuming that he's winning the belt, so I say Jonah wins. Jonathan Gresham has been on fire lately as well. He had a great match with Rocky Romero this past week, and he takes on Eddie Edwards on this show. They haven't made it clear though if that match is for the ROH world title. I almost kinda prefer that it was, because if it's not, it kinda telegraphs that Edwards may win. I think Edwards definitely needs a strong win here because he'd been doing nothing but losing lately, and if the goal of honor no more is to destroy Impact from within, then this group needs to get on the winning track. Because therein lies the difference between the NWO and Retribution. I would like to see Eddie weasel his way to victory here and win the ROH title if it's on the line. I can actually see a surprise run in by Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt, as they kinda got into it with Gresham at the Supercard of Honor event. So they cost him the match and branch off into a feud when ROH returns full-time. Again, I'd really prefer it if Eddie won the title. I'm not a huge fan of Eddie Edwards, but I think for this storyline to work, they need to start winning some big matches. One of the better angles in this company lately has been this champ-champ challenge that Diana Perrazzo has been doing. I love how she has a belt on each shoulder and does a gesture like her shoulders act as a scale when she does champ-champ. It's so subtle, but I think it's getting over. And Saturday's match with Taya Valkyrie should be a good one, especially considering that Taya's last match in Impact was a loss to Diana about a year ago. It's really amazing how time flies, because that match felt like it was yesterday. This one is for the AAA World Women's title, which is interesting that that's the title they decided to put on the line. I think Taya wins the belt here, but since Diana has a win over her previously, we're probably getting a rubber match down the road at some point. The X-Division title is also on the line as Trey Miguel defends against speedball Mike Bailey, who had an unbelievable weekend in Dallas recently, and Ace Austin. I kind of like this storyline with Bailey and Austin, and I've generally enjoyed Trey's matches, so this should be another good one. I'm just so happy that the X-Division is finally back to where it should be in this company. This is, once again, the workhorse title. I don't think Bailey and Austin really needs to be a title program, as I can see them either as a tag team moving forward, or in a singles feud without the title. Of the three guys in this match, I think Trey is the one who needs the title more to stay relevant. I see the end come where Bailey hits a high impact, pardon the pun, move on Trey, but before he can cover, Austin tosses him out of the ring, and then he thinks he can pick up an easy victory, only for Trey to catch him in a cradle or something to retain the belt. Of the three guys, I think Trey is the guy who is eventually going to use option C to challenge Josh Alexander or Moose for the world title later on. Rosemary of Decay will be challenging Tasha Steeles for the knockouts title as well. Of all the matches on this card, this is probably the one that I'm least interested in. Tasha has had a less than impressive run thus far, but does have potential. I just don't like how she's the champion but she's still viewed as the number three knockout in the division behind mickey james and diana Perazzo. maybe even number four of you include jordan grace i'm not expecting this to go very long but i do expect tasha to retain here as savannah evans gets into it with havoc on the outside and as rosemary is temporarily distracted tasha takes advantage to keep the belt you also have the multiple team match for the tag belts I didn't see that match listed on the official card, so I don't know if it's been removed, but I can see great things happening in that one. The one wild card in this whole situation may be Dem Boys Demselves, the Briscoes, who announced that they will be debuting in Impact the night after Rebellion in Poughkeepsie. But with this show also being in that very city, I can totally see them as being a surprise entrant in this match and walking away as your new Impact Tag Team Champions. The Impact World title match will close out the show, and you know what, whether you're a fan of Moose or not, and I think the audience is still divided on that one, I have to say that this one has had a tremendous build both on and off screen. That said, they need to pull the trigger on Josh Alexander winning the title here. That is a must. Moose has had an okay run, but I don't even know where you go with him after this. Alexander wins clean and has the victory celebration that he should have gotten at Bound for Glory, with his family in the ring, the pyro if Impact can afford it, and confetti. The whole works. And if they're keeping the forbidden door open, perhaps it's time for Ethan Page to walk right through and challenge his former partner down the road. That may be in the forecast. Speaking of forecast, though, there's a little segment I usually do on this show following a pay-per-view preview. It's called Fantasy Forecast, where I attempt to predict the whole card for the next big show. In this case, it's Slammiversary! So let me gaze into my crystal ball and see if we can get this right. If my Rebellion prediction is true, that means Josh Alexander will be the world champion, probably come Slammiversary as well. And if it's Honor No More's goal to destroy Impact from Within, as I said, then I think the opponent for him on that show will be the leader of Honor No More, Eddie Edwards. It would mean a great deal more if Edwards was the ROH world champion, but whether he is or he isn't, that should be a compelling bout. So what do you do with Moose? Well, coming off a huge loss at Rebellion, he'll need to get some of that momentum back. And given that another big man is on the rise, I can see him and Jonah hooking it up. The women's title match should be interesting either way it goes, but let's say Taya does win the AAA women's belt at Rebellion, I'm picturing a three-way between the champions. A champ-champ-champ challenge, if you will, between Taya Valkyrie, Tasha Steels, and Deanna Perrazzo, and it'll be winner-take-all. If the Briscoes are back, and will in fact win the tag belts, possibly at Rebellion as I predicted, I can see them continuing their feud with the Good Brothers. In fact, let's add two other teams to the mix and make it a four-way. It'll be the Briscoes defending against Gallows and Anderson, the Motor City Machine Guns, and the Kingdom representing Honor No More. Bullet Club will probably have a busy night because I can also see Jay White stepping up as Trey Miguel's next challenger for the X-Division title, just to add some more legitimacy to Trey's reign by giving him a strong win over a higher seed. Given the beatdown of W. Morrissey this past week, I can see him finding a partner to face Matt Cardona and Brian Myers. I'm assuming he has Enzo on speed dial. Closing out the card, you could also do a one-on-one match between Speedball Mike Bailey and Ace Austin, which should be fantastic. So that's Impact. Their big card is in one week. But for right now, I want to switch gears and talk about one of the hot new sitcoms. Well, still fairly new, it's only in its second season, and that's Young Rock. I've been a fan of this show. In fact, my wife, who doesn't follow wrestling at all, but is a huge fan of The Rock, loves it. We watch it together. So I can imagine that there must be others like her who don't watch the product, but who know who Dwayne Johnson is and tune in because of it. And I love how this show educates people about the wrestling business. If that is WWE's long-term plan to attract new viewers, then it's pretty genius. One of the characters introduced this season is a man named Downtown Bruno, who, at the request of Rocky Johnson, sort of took a teenage Dwayne under his wing and gave him a place to stay while the elder Rocky was working in the Memphis territory. The guy who plays Bruno on the show is an actor, but I chatted this week with the real Downtown Bruno. Let's take a listen. So, uh, Young Rock is the new TV show, uh, the new hit TV show on NBC. It airs every Tuesday night and is now in its second season. Uh, so, first of all, uh, right off the start, i got to ask you, uh, what have you thought of the series thus far?
1: Oh, my gosh. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm very biased and uh, prejudiced uh, uh, in favor of it, of course, but uh, I really love it because, not of course, not during the Canadian football uh, time or the times when he was in College. Besides that, I was with Dwayne for, I'm saying 90% of these uh, incidents or, 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 you know, situations. So, uh, you know, I, it's very, it's almost uh, to use a word that Dwayne uses a lot when he discusses this, but I agree with it. It's surreal. Because, you know, other than, you know, little tweaks. For make it more television friendly or whatever, and taking away some of the more hardcore things that we did when we were young, mm-hmm. it's really very accurate. And like I said, I can say that from a first-hand basis, and that's me. I was right
0: there um, in it, so yeah, it's mm-hmm. very accurate. And being as close to Dwayne as you were, and, and well, you still are, and his family as well, uh, you know, there there are a lot of other wrestling, other shows, uh, wrestling related or not, that focus more on the dramatic elements of people's lives. Was it the right call, do you think, to make this a comedy series?
1: Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I think so. Because personally, I don't even look at any of those. I'm not even mention any of them by name. But the ones that talked about the, you know, the negative aspects of the of the business and, mm-hmm. the, and of the world in general. You know, it's time to just enjoy it. I mean, they're showing some serious things when, what do Is, is uh, I mean, his mom and dad had those issues, and when Dwayne had issues in football and whatnot. It's so not just acting like everything was rainbows and unicorns all the time but it's still it's a light-hearted show with a lot of humor a lot of family uh aspects that you know no i can't foresee any parent not allowing their children to watch it you know mm-hmm. whereas those other shows drugs death this that and the other but you know what that's not a, those negative things are not exclusive to wrestling every i don't care what profession you bring up i can get and i'm not an expert on other professions I'd be sure willing to bet that, like I was talking to you earlier, I was at Home Depot buying some things for my fireplace, but there's some people at Home Depot that worked there that may, may have had drug issues at one point, or mm-hmm. infidelity in their marriage, or whatever, so it's not exclusive to our business, so I, I, I'm happy that there's a show that's not just dwelling on the negative thing, and, and I think it's great, I, I, and I'm not just saying that because I'm an, Involved in the show, intricately, intricately,
0: <laughs> I'm saying it because I really feel that way. I really do. And, and based on your knowledge of the real events that took place, especially centered around your own character, how accurate would you say the show has been? I'd say, as far as things I'm uh, involved in,
1: 90%. Like I said, some of them have been changed a little bit for, for TV purposes, and I did it. Like uh, they had Rocky uh, Sr., Mm -hmm. wrestling jeff Jarrett the other week on tv well that never happened because they were both Mm -hmm. good guys at the Mm -hmm. same time when when they were in memphis together but i mean i'm sure the reason they did that was because the you know the younger fans remember jeff as double j right villain you know in in wwe and in the other places he went so i think that's probably why they said okay let's everybody will know who jeff Jarrett is let's make him the the bad guy, and it doesn't hurt nothing, I mean, yeah, back in 86 or 87, when that match would have taken place, like I said, they were both, you know, good guys, fan favorites, so that wouldn't have happened, Mm -hmm. but, you know, things like that, like, uh, and I I never managed Bam Bam Bigelow ever, ever, Mm -hmm. but they had me managing him as his manager, you know, on the show this week, well, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, I mean, I never was his manager, but so what? doesn't take away from the story. It wasn't right. like completely fabricated. Mm-hmm. Um, we were in the organization at the same time. We got along great. We were friends. Um, I guess since I'm part of the show and Bam Bam's part of the show, it's fine because Larry Sharp was his manager actually in Memphis. But he's long, God rest his soul, passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wasn't that well known in the greater sense of the word. I mean, at one time, some people knew me at a training facility in, in New Jersey, the Monster Factory, that was well known. But, uh, as a person, he wasn't just intricate to the young rock type story. So I guess that's why they just chose to
0: not include him in it. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, nobody told me that, but that's my assumption. According to the show, uh, you had first met Dwayne when he, was a high, when he was a high school student. And they did a good job of explaining how football was his chosen path at the time. But he also wanted to be close to his dad, of course, and learn the wrestling business. At the time, did you think that he would ever become a pro wrestler? You know, I, I, honestly, I don't know at that time, because we really never even discussed it too much. Um,
1: in, a, in a way, I probably think no, because he's seen what kind of life it was. It, you know, it wasn't a great lifestyle at that stage of the game. You know, Rocky was after what he was doing. Dwayne was 15, but living with me, I wasn't making him go to school or anything. It was like, again, this is just speculation. He probably says, oh, my God, I don't want nothing to do with
0: this. <laughs> you know, but... <laughs>
1: I guess he figured he had to do something when football didn't pan out, and
0: that's mm-hmm. you
1: know he actually became uh, kind of successful in the wrestling
0: business. So, <laughs> that's the Obviously, uh, given the the time constraints of a half hour program, they needed to condense the rock story quite a bit. Is there anything that you recall that's been left out uh, thus far from your own uh, experience with the show uh, that you would have preferred included as part of the story?
1: Well, you know, and I've discussed this with Dwayne too, actually. The mm. one thing is, as everybody that's followed Dwayne's story that he's told on numerous occasions, mm. you know, I bought him his first car, and you know, it was in downtown Nashville. And, uh, you know, that's true, there was a guy sleeping in the back seat. You know, but on the season one, when they showed him getting his first car, they didn't involve me in any way. Mm. They invented a character, you know, and, uh, uh you know, I'm fine. to hurt my feelings right now. But I just, I, I just said, well, you know, I, I wish they would have left it like it was. I thought it would have been better to, to be, you know, the actor around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, I don't care. I mean, just, that's the only thing. I, I I couldn't figure out why they changed that. But it was an intricate part of our me and Dwayne's, you know, friendship and relationship. But I mean, I guess they wanted to make a little storyline. They get that and invent a character,
0: and that's fine. If that's what they think is best, then hey. Mm-hmm. They make more money than I do. They must know what, they, what they're doing. And uh, what have you thought about your own portrayal in the series? Did you have any input?
1: Oh, I had a t- tremendous amount of input. Ryan Pinkskin, who is the uh, actor that plays me, we became really good friends now. Mm. And I'm telling you, I, I had nothing to praise for him. This, this young guy has, you know, he's from Baltimore uh, or Maryland, Baltimore area, so he's not familiar with Mississippi or how we act and talk and behave and then he's not, you know, wouldn't have been familiar with me as far as my mannerisms and the way I talk and, you know, portray and laugh and whatever, but evidently he watched videos of me from the old days and plus just having many. Zoom conversations with me over the course of the months that he was filming my character, um, he everybody I've talked to says he's got me down to a T. I didn't realize I didn't stink stinking laugh, but apparently mm-hmm. I do. everybody, said, Oh, he's got your laugh down to a T mm-hmm. and I love it. I mean, I got nothing but praise for him. Um
0: I'm hoping he, he gets nominated for an Emmy Award. I really do.
1: Mm-hmm. I, mean, I you could, great kid. You can look up on uh online, he's played in Will and Grace, he's played in, uh, I think it was Law and Order, I'm not sure, not as a regular character, but you know, he was a, I think he was on Law and Order, uh, one or two episodes, but I know he was a regular on Will and Grace, he was uh, in the movie Spy Kids, mm-hmm. he was a regular on Ashton Kutcher's uh, show, Punk that he used to have, and uh, yeah, he's just a really phenomenal guy, and I'm very impressed with, you know, his betrayal detour- Betrayal. Mm-hmm. Poor trailer of me. <laughs> Don't let anybody say, I said he betrayed me. I said, Portrayed
0: me. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> and, uh, and going back uh, to your first meeting with, before your first meeting with Dwayne actually, uh, can you tell me about your off-screen uh, relationship with Rocky Johnson and how that all came about?
1: Oh my God, Rocky was one of my dearest friends ever in the business and in life, let alone the business. And he, uh, it was instrumental in me becoming a manager in the business, which is how I made my bones, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in Kansas City working for Bob Geigel on the ring crew, and I was referee just at the spot shows. I wasn't a full-time referee. And, you know, I was like I am now, you know, talkative and, you know, likes to like to laugh and joke around and tease people and just have a, you know, good time and mm-hmm. everything. And Rocky said I should be a manager. Well, Bob Dingle, great guy.
0: If you're familiar with him, he used to run the NWA Central States right. promotion, mm-hmm. and he was also the president of the NWA.
1: But he was the old school Vern Gagne type guy that was interested in collegiate athletes. And you know, this guy used to be a you know Greco Roman wrestler. And they didn't like the Memphis stuff. You know, the, the manager jumping around like me or Jimmy Hart or whoever. You know, having fun. They liked the boring old time managers that would stand there with a suit and tie on
0: and smoke a cigar or whatever and not, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, do
1: anything, (laughs) you know, (laughs) which Rocky said, that's ridiculous, you ought to be, he goes, I'll tell you what, he goes, you know, my family runs, my in-laws run the uh, promotion in Honolulu, he goes, how would you like to go to Honolulu and uh, be a manager?
0: Hmm. I
1: thought, really? He said, yeah, really, I think it was 83, I'm the world's worst numbers game, but I think it was like 83. He, he booked me over there, and that's uh, so when I first became a manager. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, Rocky opened the, uh, the door for me, too, I mean, let's face it, I'd be sitting there talking to you, and 43 years later, if I booked in the business at 79, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be having this conversation with you if i just stayed in Kansas City, putting up the ring. Where would I be? There's not, there wasn't much demand for, you know, going all over the country, all over the world for a 16, 17-year-old ring crew guy, you know, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, Rocky's one of the two people that opened a huge amount of doors for me, I mean, mm-hmm. in the business, and I'll, I, I've always been grateful, we were best friends, up until,
0: at the last time i seen him, we were always best friends, always. Mm-hmm. At the time that Dwayne made it to the WWF, uh, you had already been there for several years, uh, how did you react to him being signed?
1: Oh, I thought it was great, you know, I was, I was happy about it, you know, I'm the one that picked him up at the airport when he flew mm-hmm. in to to uh, Corpus Christi to go for his match. So, uh, I was, you know, and then he wrestled a good friend of mine, close friend of mine, Brooklyn Ball, with Steve Lombardi. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very happy. I was thrilled for him, you know, and I was happy that i have any idea he would take it as far as he did. I'd be a liar if I said, oh, I knew immediately he'd be the biggest name in the world. No, <laughs> I let, and Dwight knows I would. I'd be lying if I said that. I had no idea. I'm mm-hmm. thrilled that he did, but I never dreamed he didn't make it to that extent.
0: Do you have any road stories to tell from his rookie year in the company?
1: Well, you know, not in the company. In Memphis. You know, because they sent him in Memphis, which was the developmental territory for WWE at the time. Okay? I never traveled with him in WWE, so I have no road stories uh, of that. But he was in Memphis being developed as Flex Cavana, as I'm sure you probably know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that. At first, he would he would ride with me to the towns because I was in charge of the rings. It was me, Chilly Willie, a little uh, small African American guy from South Memphis, Mm -hmm. Raymond, the big fat (laughs) African American guy that did security plus worked on the ring from uh, Midtown Memphis, and there was me. So it was the four of us riding to the towns together, and we got stopped by the cops one day. And I because nothing bad. I got Mm Dwayne was actually driving and he was speeding. Right. There's. There's, there's this big, athletic, uh, you know, uh, biracial, uh, athletic-looking, good-looking guy. There's me with beer and, and you know, <laughs> little white guy drinking, smoking cigarettes and drinking beer. And then there's Chili William Raymond sitting in the back seat. I remember the cop let us go. Oh, I never forget. he says, Y'all four don't even look like you should know each other. <laughs> 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 but, and we got out of it because he knew who I was. Because back like then I was this <laughs> well-known name, not plain, But, uh, but yeah, we, uh, you know, we, we traveled together the whole time he was in the uh, USWA, the Memphis territory. But, yeah, mm-hmm. we never traveled together in, New, when I say New York, you know, the WWE right. uh, uh, towns, because we were on separate agendas, mm-hmm. basically, you know. But, uh, we had a good time, though. We traveled together every week. We'd go eat on the way to the towns, and uh, I would drink beer all the way up. I'd sober up. And that's bad. I was pretty bad about drinking back then. And
0: then I would
1: show up and referee the match and have something to eat and drink all the way back. And he would drive
0: back. So it was kind of like his kind of like teenage years all over again. <laughs> and uh, so one idea that they keep pushing on the show, uh, well, kind of uh, one of the themes of the show anyway, is Dwayne Johnson's candidacy, candidacy for president. Do you see that happening? Right.
1: You know, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, he's very charismatic. He's very extremely intelligent. He's well-spoken, he's well-liked. The only thing I would hate to see him uh, do that is only one reason, not that I don't think he could make it or that he would do a good job. I'm sure he would in both counts. Mm-hmm. But right away, when you become a candidate for any political office, and I believe me, on this small level, I know, because I'm, I'm an elected official here in Walls, Mississippi. I'm on, I'm on the uh, board of aldermen. Um, mm-hmm. The minute you declare either Republican or Democrat, right away, you've probably lost 50% of your support. Mm-hmm. because, you know, that's just how, how divided everything is now. And like I said, on a very small level, I've seen how that happened. So he's so popular and well-loved, and, and people want to come see his movies, watch his shows, come to see him if he's involved in WWE in any way.
0: All mm-hmm. of a sudden,
1: if I don't know whether he'd be a Democrat or Republican. It's not my business. I've never discussed it with him. Mm-hmm. But right away, if he came out and says, I'm a Republican, a bunch of Democrats are going to like we ain't gonna watch his movies no more, and vice versa. So you know that to me, that would be
0: a negative takeaway. I hope you enjoyed that little interview there. It's a sign of things to come in the future, as I'm planning more big interviews down the road. In the meantime, continue showing your support by inviting friends to join the Royal Ramble Facebook group. Follow me on Twitter at blaine de brain eighty four, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Blaine Vandergrind. For now, I will leave you with an A B C.